Welcome to episode 30 of the Princeton Podcast. In this episode, our host, Mayor Mark Frieda, sat down with Princeton Councilman David Cohen. In addition to discussing David's background and his assignments on a variety of council committees, Mark and David touched on the recently revised set of permit parking regulations, as well as many other challenges and rewards David experienced during his past five years as a Princeton Councilman. So without any further introduction, let's join our host, Mark Frieda, and his guest, David Cohen, for episode 30 of the Princeton Podcast. David, thanks for joining us today. So happy to be here. So I think most people know you um, as a town council member, uh, but um, how many years have you been on council now? Uh, so I'm just finishing up my fifth year. So next year is my sixth, which means uh, it's also time to run again. <laughs> the best part of the job, running for re-election. Mm, so fun. <laughs> um, you know, the council members are on a number of different council committees. They're liaisons to a number of the different boards, committees, and commissions we have. Maybe you could share with our listeners some of the different committees and BCCs that you've worked with over that time. Sure. So, you know, the thing that comes to front of my mind, because it's what I, um, where I actually got my start, I guess I would say, in municipal governance is the Pedestrian and Bike Advisory Committee. Um, I first joined that probably a dozen years ago, well before I was on council. And although I haven't been the liaison the whole time I've been on council, because Tim Quinn, um, one of my former colleagues, was also very committed to that set of issues uh, and and took it for one of the years uh, that we overlapped. I've mostly been um, liaison to that commission. Um, I have done a lot of work around planning, so I've been council representative of the planning board, or this year, as you know, the mayor's representative to the planning board. Um, some associated uh, things that connected to that, such as uh, back, and I think this was the, the year I started, where we had engaged in uh, a process to try and come up with a redevelopment plan for the seminary property. And uh, I was on that committee, um, ended up actually chairing the committee after the initial chair, Gail Ullman, stepped down. Uh, so that was uh, another thing. Citizens Finance Advisory Committee. I've been treasurer for a couple of different nonprofit organizations uh, over my lifetime, and so that seemed like a good fit. And um, and even though the Citizens Finance Advisory Committee is now no longer meeting, uh, I've continued on the Finance Committee, the Council Finance Committee, as the sort of extension of that set of responsibilities. Um, when I started, you know, as an architect um, by, by profession, um, it seemed like there was a good fit with the Historic Preservation uh, Commission, HPC, so I was liaison there for four years, um, since handed that off to Leighton Newland, who is a new council member who started last year and was very interested in that. Um, I was liaison to the Senior Resource Center for several years, and uh, this all may start to sound like a lot, which it was, <laughs> and uh, Eve Niedergang generously um, 
agreed to take that on. Um, about halfway through my tenure, um, the Flood and Stormwater Commission was reconstituted. It had been on the books, but had not been meeting for a while. And again, uh, Eve, I have to give credit, she did a lot of heavy lifting to repopulate that committee and get it all ready to go. And then at the last minute, she was told, because she worked part-time for the watershed, that she was conflicted and could not be on the committee. So that got handed off to me, which I am so grateful for, because it really is probably the thing I'm most interested and committed to right now in my council work is trying to make sure that we're preparing for the effects of climate change, you know, and that's that's probably the biggest effect of climate change that we feel in Princeton, in the Northeast generally. Uh, other parts of the country have, you know, heat waves or droughts, uh, tornadoes, you know, we're actually kind of fortunate in the Northeast. We just have hurricanes or yeah, <laughs> the just, remnants just. of hurricanes. <laughs> but uh, we have a lot of work to do to be prepared for the kinds of, um, of rain events that have become more and more common in recent years. Yeah, yeah, quite a bit. Um, so let me, let me just take a different tact here for a second. Where were you born? Uh, I was born in Rochester, New York. And uh, really grew up there, although my family spent a little time in Washington, D.C. when I was little. Uh, my dad uh, did his sort of, in lieu of military service, he was at the National Institute of Health. He's an MD. And uh, he also did a postdoc in London. So I was there when I started school. Um, and I had a British accent for a couple of years when I came back. Uh, I, I can't really <laughs> recreate that now. But after that time, I, I grew up uh, all through my uh, school years, my uh, primary and secondary school years in, in Rochester. Yeah. So how long have you been in Princeton now? We came right after grad school, which I finished in 1987. Uh, I got my architectural degree. and. Um, came here for a job. We kind of thought, yeah, we'll come for a little while. It's a good job, but, you know, the snooty, waspy Princetonians, <laughs> I mean, we're not going to fit in there. And really discovered a wonderful, diverse uh, community and, and down-to-earth community where we felt so at home. So we're, we're lifers now. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, the, stereo, the stereotype for people from Princeton is very different from what's actually here. Just jumping back to the council stuff again, you know, you were on the pedestrian bike advisory committee, and then at some point you decided to run for council. So what happened to make that leap? Right. So I, w I, um, I guess the glimmer first entered my eye um, really about 15 years ago um, as a member of the American Institute of Architects for their 150th anniversary celebration, they actually recruited architects all around the country to teach a one or two day curriculum in middle school um, about the 10 characteristics of livable communities. And it was really the first time, I mean, I had been interested in politics before that, obviously been interested in architecture. It's the first time that I thought about the relationship between architecture and politics or, you know, local politics. And so that got me started thinking about it. And, you know, as I said, I served on the um, P 
PBAC for a number of years. I actually got uh, invited to join the planning board as well, probably about eight, nine years ago. So also before I decided to run for council. And so it was a gradual process of immersion in thinking about the decision-making that goes on in town to ensure that our livable community uh, thrives and continues. And uh, at, at some point after that, I just thought, you know, being on council is the, the most impactful way to um, bring those interests and skills to bear on keeping Princeton a livable community that, that I love so much. There you go. So between the different council committees you're on, the liaisons to the different boards, committees, commissions, and of course all the council work outside of the council meetings and everything, you know, what kind of time commitment do you, what, what, how many hours a week do you think you're putting in for all this? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a lot. I probably right now I'm spending after having given away a couple of my responsibilities. Um, and as the, burdens of COVID have eased. Uh, I'm down to about 35 hours a week, I would say. <laughs> uh, yeah, for a while there, at the beginning of COVID, it was, it was really heavy. It was like 50 plus hours a week because we were not only trying to do the work of government, but also cope with all the curveballs that COVID was throwing us, um, special things, special projects that we needed to do. I'll just give an example. You know, we spent a lot of time working on um, a slow streets initiative, which with, you know, the social distancing that was required by COVID, our four foot wide sidewalks weren't enough for people to be out walking and keep distance from each other. And there was an interest in turning our streets. You know, we know that we got a lot of outdoor dining and stuff like that to help our businesses, but there was also an interest in uh, turning our streets into more pedestrian and bike-oriented um, um, facilities. And so we spent a lot of work uh, researching what other towns were doing, planning for that. We actually ended up getting stymied because um, DOT got wind of our, of our plans and said, you're not allowed to do that. Under, under the, you know, the 1950s uh, motor vehicle laws of the state of New Jersey, you can't stop <laughs> cars from driving on streets. Uh, so uh, after spending a lot of time. But that's the kind of thing that came uh, under the COVID rubric that added to the workload. So it was, it was like 50 plus hours a week at, for a year or two there. Yeah. It's a serious, uh, if you're serious about doing the job, right. It's a serious time commitment. Yeah. Um, one recent issue that generated significant public interest was the permit parking discussion. So how are we moving forward on, on that now? I mean, it's been topic at a couple of recent council meetings. Yeah. I think council, um, when the task force brought their initial recommendations, just sort of wanted to feel like um, it was, wasn't just the recommendations of sort of a special select group of people, but that, you know, it was really um, vetted, fully vetted and, and considered by staff. I mean, the reality was that we had included staff members on 
the task force, um, but uh, only a few of the staff members who are on the task force were regular participants in the meetings. So, um, you know, basically at that time, that was the beginning of March, we asked staff to review the recommendations in detail and come back to council with their uh, take on what would be realistic and could actually be implemented. And um, we asked them to prioritize a couple of uh, issues which we considered low-hanging fruit, the sort of the easiest pieces. And they actually did come back to council about a month and a half, I think, ago with um, a proposed change to the regulations for Bank Street, which promptly was voted down yeah. <laughs> by my council <laughs> colleagues. Uh, you know, it just goes to how complex this issue is um, and and how passionate fe people feel about it. I, I, I think it was one of our parking consultants who was with us, you know, four years ago or so, who, who said, you know, people val uh, uh, value free parking out of all proportion to what it's actually worth to them, and uh, it has something to do with the fact we all grew up playing Monopoly, and you know, <laughs> it's like landing on free parking and getting that kitty in the middle, there just sort of where there's something in our lizard brain. That uh, <laughs> makes us feel like free parking is, is uh, you know, nirvana. So, um, you know, the work is continuing. We are going to implement a revised set of uh, permit parking regulations that are more fair, that are more um, pragmatic, that take into account the needs of all of the community, you know, residents, yes, uh, customers of our businesses and areas where that's an issue, um, employees of our businesses, uh, visitors for our residents, um, you know, contractors. I mean, there are so many um, interest groups, I guess I would say, who need access to park on our streets and i'll just you know also at the risk of going over our time limit <laughs> say <laughs> you know something one of the things that makes this really tough is that the sustainability agenda in the community is inclined to feel that cars are bad <laughs> and that anytime we make driving easier by making and making parking easier makes driving easier that we're moving in the wrong direction from a sustainability standpoint but i feel that on street parking is one of the most sustainable kinds of parking you can have because it's already paved area you don't have to create new impervious coverage on-street parking actually has a documented traffic calming effect. When you have cars parked along the street, the traffic that moves along that street goes slower. And that's safer for pedestrians and for bicyclists. And those kinds of active transportation are the best thing we can do for sustainability. So it's much more complicated than people like to realize. Um, 
but I think that having a solution to our on-street parking, allocating it more fairly is, is an important part of our sustainability uh, initiatives in town. Yeah. Yeah. And we could talk about this for, for, for much, <laughs> oh, much longer. Right. And even though I got a thousand thoughts to back up a lot of what you said, we're going to, we're going to move to my next question. So people, um, so, you know, just getting back to kind of you as a, as a person, uh, we talked about how much time you spend and the other council members spend doing, doing work for the town. I mean, what, and, and at very little compensation. I mean, really, when you think about it, I hate to think what the hourly rate is, you know, 15 cents an hour, a quarter an hour. I don't know what it works out to be at the end of the year, but, but what drives you to, to, you know, work so hard for the rest of the community? You know, I'm going to take a, a page from my wife's playbook there and say, just the fact that I feel fortunate, you know, we're very lucky that I can afford to spend this kind of time. You know, we're financially secure. And with that kind of good fortune comes responsibility to give back. And I feel like this is, uh, although I come to it a little bit later in life, you know, it's a real good fit for my skill sets. And I feel like it's a, it's a way for me to give back that is really well suited to who I am as a person. And so that's my, that's my um, answer and I'm sticking to it. There you go. There you go. Um, so let me ask you this. So prior to moving to Princeton, had you been involved in politics at all? I was uh, a president of the student council when I was in high school. There you go. Uh, I actually did, you know, I, I was, I worked for my, as an intern for my um, congressman while he was in college, I looked at some possible jobs um, as a sort of a legislative assistant to, you know, to um, people at the national level when I was, when I was graduating from college. So I, I, you know, it's, it has been an interest, but then when I went, you know, once I graduated from college and went into my work life, um, it took a backseat for a while. Any interesting jobs along the way through your career that you want to just share with us and say, oh man, I once had this one great whatever. So I, I absolutely think it's important for people to understand me, to know that my first job out of school was as an elementary school teacher. I was actually an elementary school science teacher. And, um, you know, I'd gone to that because I had really enjoyed camp work that I had done when I was a teenager and so forth. Um, I really feel like I'm a sort of a teacher at heart. And so the way that I behave on council is, you know, I try to educate people about what the issues are and how they're interrelated and why I think that my approach to doing things is the right way to go. But I, I don't browbeat. You know, it's like if I have failed to convince you of the rightness of my position. I failed as a teacher. It's not your failure as, you know, <laughs> uh, that you weren't listening or whatever. And so it just colors my approach to interacting with constituents, I think. Um, so I think that's good for people to know. The other interesting job is one that I just started last year, which is a, as a crossing guard. Right. Um, which I have to say I really love you know, it was an outgrowth of my work with 
the Pedestrian Bike Advisory Committee and also work on the Traffic Safety Committee, which is another one of my council um, responsibilities. Um, just realizing that there was this drastic need in town and any of you listening to this who have free time in the morning, you know, you don't have to do both the morning and afternoon. The police will, they are eager uh, to have people who will work uh, whatever hours they can give. Uh, it's lengthy training. It's actually 20 hours of on-the-job training before they'll let you control an intersection yourself. And um, I will say... 20 hours is not too much. It's actually a very challenging um, job, at least at my intersection. I'm at the corner of Valley and Jefferson, and uh, it's a two-way stop, not a four-way stop. And a lot of drivers don't know how to, uh, don't even know what the rules are yeah. going through that intersection and um, keeping the pedestrians and bicyclists safe and the drivers to the extent that you can, although a crossing guard is really not supposed to be out there to direct traffic. They're just there to protect the, the pedestrians and bicyclists. But um, I love it because it gets me outside for an hour every day, rain or shine, you know, heat or <laughs> freezing. No matter what. Uh, yeah, it's, so it's a, I, I feel like it's good for me physically, and uh, I get smiles from everybody who drives by, waves, and uh, it's just a feel-good um, thing to do compared to council where we get <laughs> right. where we get castigated uh, on a regular basis. So you're helping kids, bicyclists, and I guess if anybody really wanted to bother you, they, now they know where you're going to be on school days is at that intersection. <laughs> That's right, but I can't talk to you can't while I'm on duty. But if you want to come, if you want to come at eight thirty when I finish, I would love to talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, David, what do you think some of the high priority issues are coming up, you know, over the next year or so in Princeton? Well, I mean, you know, one of the big things that's going on right now is the revamp of the master plan. And, um, you know, for anybody who's not aware, it's something, this is a document that was originally written back in the, I think in 96 yeah. was the date on it. Yep. And um, pieces of it have been updated since then. Some pieces haven't been updated at all. And, you know, it's, a, it's basically a paper document because we lived in a paper world then. I mean, we have it available online, but it's, it's created in a way that it does not take advantage of modern technology, uh, you know, to make it more readable or more accessible, I'll say, because, you know, pictures worth a thousand words and uh, just reading is not the right way uh, to get information in this day and age. So really excited about the fact that we're changing and updating the format, um, taking a look at the older sections of the, of, the, of the plan and trying to update them to the realities of today. Um, so that's super important. I think people are aware of that. Um, you know, also working on the Vision Zero Task Force, which you, Mark, are also on. Um, and I feel like that's important for people to know about as well. I mean, it's a little bit of a, a tangent, but um, basically it's an approach to sharing our roads that prioritizes safety above all. 
So the, the last rubric was what they call complete streets. And complete streets is still a, a priority. What complete streets says is that, you know, roadways should be designed to, to address the needs of all users, not just cars. And it was a, revolu a revolution, a revelation at the time that it first came out, which was probably about, I don't know, 20, 15, 20 years ago. Um, but it was more of a justice uh, perspective than a safety perspective. And uh, what I like so much about Vision Zero is that it sort of takes data, real, it's data-driven, says, where are we having problems, you know, from a safety perspective? Where are we having injuries? Where are we had fatalities? And let's prioritize fixing those locations first. Whereas, you know, the way we had always done things in town previously was, you know, as as our potholes get, bit, you know, too, too bad to... Um, to allow them to continue, we'll redo a road. And when we redo the road, we'll think about pedestrians and bicyclists. But it, it, wasn't, pri it wasn't prioritized based on safety. It was pr prioritized based on potholes. <laughs> and so it's a, it's, a, it's a subtle shift, but it's an important one. And hopefully we'll have a good set of recommendations that'll come out of that. Yeah. Um, so another, another one that you're working on quite a bit is the looking at the stormwater utility. Yes. Maybe you want to just fill people in briefly on that one. Yeah, so this is just uh, starting off, um, but I'm very excited about the potential for it. So stormwater utility is a separate sort of governmental entity, just like we have a sewer authority right now um, that, you know, bills people for the services they provide and... Um, you know, is is run somewhat independent of uh, of the government. In the case of stormwater, you know, right now the way we manage stormwater in in town and and the way all towns in New Jersey do is that we pay for stormwater infrastructure, at least our public stormwater infrastructure, out of the general fund. So property owners pay taxes to help with stormwater in proportion to the value of their property. And what a stormwater utility says is, no, you should be paying not based on the value of your property, but based on how much stormwater you're contributing to the system. To me, that's a fundamental improvement in equity where it's much more fair um, to, to build people for, the, for our stormwater needs based on how much of the problem they're creating. Uh, and, you know, what that means is that in practice is that old properties that were developed before stormwater management was even something that we thought about, you know, they have a lot more stormwater flowing into the system. They're going to end up paying more. Well, what are they going to do about that? They're going to have an incentive to try and reduce their, storm, their stormwater outflow. So this is a fantastic way to incentivize improvements to the stormwater system that don't only need to happen when a property is being completely redeveloped, right? It gives people an incentive who aren't coming into the planning board to do a new project. It gives them an incentive to improve stuff. And the other big uh, benefit is that the fee for stormwater is a fee and not a tax. 
And so tax-exempt organizations are not exempt from the stormwater fee. And uh, in a town like Princeton, where we have so many large nonprofits, um, so many institutions that are off the tax rolls, um, it's great to have an opportunity to get them to chip in at least to this aspect of uh, the public expenditure, um, you know, yeah. to, to, to help out with that. So that's exciting to be able to redistribute uh, costs a little bit in that way. So let me ask you one last question. Uh, what do you enjoy most about being a council member? You know, I really enjoy getting in the weeds. Um, I think probably I've revealed that slightly during this conversation. <laughs> you know, I really like learning in depth about a problem, whether it be permit parking or stormwater management and, you know, doing the analysis and coming to um, defensible policy decisions based on that sort of deeper understanding of the issues. I really love that. And, and I do really enjoy interacting with constituents about the topics that are, that I'm excited about. So, um, you know, I don't know. People don't call me nearly as much as they call Mia for some reason. <laughs> she may seem more accessible. I don't know how many calls you get, Mark, but, um, Again, if anyone's listening, um, I I would love to talk to you. I you know if you have interest in these topics that I've been talking about, I really enjoy that aspect of it. Yeah, well, and that's good to hear, right? Because that's if I'm a voter and I'm if I wasn't in my position, that's what I want to hear my elect my elected officials say is yeah, I'm willing to talk to you. I'm willing to listen to you. Please so reach out. My yeah. email, my cell phone, you know, is is uh, right up on the website, so easy to get a hold of. There you go. Well, David, thank you very much for having joined us today. Thank you, Mr. Mayor. I'm really happy to have been here. Terrific. Thank you for joining us for the 30th episode of the Princeton Podcast, produced by the podcast production team at HG Media, providing audio and video production services here in Princeton since 1999. If you enjoyed this episode of the Princeton Podcast, please share it with your friends. Visit our website at PrincetonPodcast.com and be sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts.